people aren't thinking on behalf of the other. Selfish might be a too harsh of a term, but I think a lot of people don't realize it because they're not studying or thinking about ethics or what is ethical until maybe they're on that other side of the coin where they're stolen from. And then they're like, oh, wow, I don't want to be the person doing that because it made me feel so bad. But if someone is never on that other side of the coin where someone might do that to them, they might just do it, not knowing the consequence. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome to Superhumans at Work by Mind Valley. I'm your host, Jason Mark Campbell. And before we get started, tell me if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Would it be your body, your career, your relationships? Thankfully, you don't have to choose. As a Mind Valley member, you'll get instant access to the wisdom of world-class personal growth teachers and programs that can evolve you in every way for just $2 a day. Are you ready to make a change? Start transforming your life today at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Today, we're going to start looking into something that you should really be considering, or at least being aware of where you stand when it comes to ethics and leadership in the workplace. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you've been asked to do something in the workplace and it just didn't sit right with you, maybe it was something that was against your values, maybe it's something that you felt crossed a certain line or a boundary when it came to what are the things that you want to see happen in the world, it just didn't sit right with you. Do you have the right to say no? How do you explain yourself? Do you need to explain yourself? And where should you be actually looking to know where to draw the line between your own ethics, the company's ethics, and how you actually get to direct your behavior when you're in the workplace? This is going to be a fantastic conversation where we're going to go deeper with a leadership strategist, writer, yoga teacher, and entrepreneur, Hilary Groskopf, who's actually been writing books on leadership. And here we're going to look about awakening ethics. What is the role of ethics? How do we actually become more aware of this so can actually guide us to being happier in the workplace, doing decisions that we feel proud of, and really being able to steer as well where the company is going into a direction that we think is a little more powerful. So Hillary, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Jason. I'm happy to be here today. Now, I want to really go deeper into this because the whole idea of ethics, as soon as I saw you writing a book around awake ethics, the only thing I could think about is all the wrong, you know, like I immediately (laughs) went into like the stories of corporate fraud, you know, recently I was looking at a documentary on Netflix from Vox explained about money, which was talking about get rich quick schemes. And Mm -hmm. it's like, there seems to be a lot of these things where people justify their behaviors, yet you look at it and it's like the ethics aren't there. So Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to know what was the passion that brought you into looking into ethics and how important is it for us to pay attention to that right now? Yeah, of course. I know ethics is a big topic. And a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you get into ethics and write a book about modern ethics? Because it's a big topic. And a lot of people don't even want to learn about ethics in school or in college, let alone write a book about it. So how did you get that interested in a topic like ethics? So 
when I was working in the corporate world in different retail companies, I saw things like you were talking about on a large scale where people were doing things that were unethical. But I even saw that people were doing things on a very small scale, you could say, that were unethical. Like, for example, not acknowledging a team member. You're an intern or a first year at your job and you do a great job on an Excel spreadsheet or a chart or a presentation, and maybe your manager or someone else on your team takes that and uses it in their presentation and takes credit. So there's these very individual scenarios as well as the bigger ones like you're talking about that are just so unethical in day-to-day work in the professional world. And so I saw that as a team member and leader in the retail world and other industries as well. And I found that since I was practicing yoga and studying yoga at the time as a teacher, and a student, of course, I saw that I could bring yoga philosophy specifically for ethics, the yamas and niyamas of yoga, which are ethical principles in yoga philosophy that are ancient ethical principles. I was learning those at the time. And I saw that as a leader, I was like, oh, these are ancient principles. But if people in the modern workplace actually use these and like learn them and tried to put them into practice, the working world would be a lot better for a lot of people at the individual level and as a whole. So I started actually through actions, using them in my day-to-day work with my team. And I found it made a world of difference for me mentally as a leader. It, it improved my mental agility and my productivity. And it also really helped my team as well. So I got interested enough that when I ended up starting my own company and doing more consulting, I was always writing Awake Ethics when I was able to do that. And it came together as a book with the 10 principles kind of translated for the modern professional with stories from the field, which are like stories from my experience showing how I put each principle into action. What I love about what you brought forward there is because when I thought of ethics, and I hope I'm not alone for this, but it seems like it was an externalized aspect of a corporation, especially if you're in a large organization, Mm -hmm. it feels easy to look at things that are happening. They're not directly involving you and kind of label it as like, oh yeah, that's the way things are happening. Oh yeah. that's You you don't even know where to start. And what you seem to be saying is that there's a lot of little actions that we can be taking ourselves that Mm -hmm. can actually make a difference. Is this really where people might be missing the mark when it comes to ethics? Because you know, there's like ethic boards, there's a whole department that might be looking at compliance and things like that. Yet here we're talking about small action. So what happens when you start taking that responsibility? Yeah, so exactly what you just said. I think taking responsibility, I think where a lot of leaders and any professional can miss the mark with ethics is thinking too big at first. Like you said, oh, this corporation or this industry is doing this. It's totally out of my control They're just doing that. That's how the system is. I'm a victim of the system, basically. But if you start taking responsibility at the very individual level, you know, myself as how I act and my actions toward my peers and people I work with, myself as a leader and my team and how I act toward my team members and I ask my team members to act toward each other through actions, it's a lot more doable. And you're actually making a difference on a more localized level, then you can from there, decide how you might want to make an impact on a larger level after that. So the example I gave with not stealing acknowledgement from someone else without saying thank you or giving that acknowledgement, that seems so small, but it happens every day in the workplace. And it can even get into the theme of mental health. It makes the person on the other side 
feel just horrible. The relationship is worse. They feel horrible that they weren't acknowledged for that work. Whereas like a little action acknowledging them, it improves your relationship with them. It promotes positivity. They're more encouraged to be productive and contribute in the future. So just that ethical act of not stealing, which is one of the principles, not stealing acknowledgement goes a long way. And that's how you can be ethical on a very localized, small level, but make a huge difference. It's like a drop in the ocean that ripples. I think of it like that. It's one little action, but it has a huge ripple effect. And other people, you're setting an example for other people on your team to do the same thing and just growing a culture that takes those small ethical actions like that. I'd be curious to know while we were putting this together, because a person that does decide to steal, right? The incentive to steal, let's say, given that it gives you immediate credit, maybe it mm-hmm. gets, you don't need to do work. Like there's obviously a reason people would do it is because it lowers effort and there's a perceived higher return from doing that action. What is it that you could tell to people who do have that behavior, who don't seem to have an incentive to want to change them? Is there the hidden cost? Are there things that they should be aware of? And even speak of mental health, are there Mm -hmm. things you've discovered even on the mental health from the person who does decide to steal? What happens? Right. Yeah. It's interesting on the side of the person that does decide to steal. One thing I realized with a lot of leaders and teams is when people do that, and I've actually had a consulting opportunity with a company where I've sat down with people that maybe do do that. Like I'm working with a team on improving ethics and morale and team dynamics is usually what I call it when I do consulting is that the person didn't even really know they were doing it. It's more that they didn't think you could call it even ignorant. They just took it because the person sent them an email with that chart or sent them an email with that information that they worked on. And they were like, oh, this would be great in my presentation. They just put it in quickly to, like you said, lower effort and didn't really think about the impact on the other person. So it's mostly, I think, that people aren't thinking on behalf of the other selfish might be a too harsh of a term, but I think a lot of people don't realize it because They're not studying or thinking about ethics or what is ethical until maybe they're on that other side of the coin where they're stolen from. And then they're like, oh, wow, I don't want to be the person doing that because it made me feel so bad. But if someone is never on that other side of the coin where someone might do that to them, they might just do it not knowing the consequence until maybe their relationship with that person's not so good. They get a bad reputation on the team for being a person that does that. Maybe they even lose their job after a while because they're impacting the culture in a negative way. So I do think there are a lot of consequences to doing that, but it really just depends on the company culture if that's tolerated or if they get weeded out eventually. I can't stop but think of how this applies to so many more areas in life beyond the stealing. But there's also kind of this idea of responsibility if you're noticing it to actually inform the person. Because you mentioned number Mm -hmm. one thing is usually ignorance. Have you noticed what is kind of the approach that people should do if they've noticed it happen? Mm -hmm. What's a way that you can approach the person so that it's not necessarily going to impact your career growth or your relationship with that person, but being able to communicate and bring that awareness forward? Yeah. Well, I think the number one thing, which isn't so direct is just in a specific situation is leading by example. So first and foremost, you acknowledging other people. If you have a peer send you something that helps you with a project that you're working on or helps you move faster in your work or response to you, always saying thank you or acknowledging them for their part in a project that you did. So I think first and foremost, leading by example 
And I think second, if it's a specific situation where like you're being stolen from by a peer or someone else, I think, yes, trying to tell them one-on-one, maybe after the meeting, ideally in person, (laughs) which is hard for some people in these times, of course, but ideally in person or on a video, if that's how you're meeting with people, mentioning it maybe in another meeting or one-on-one conversation, you know, oh, you know, I worked on that. It would have made me feel great if you could have acknowledged, I know things are moving fast at work right now. Maybe you didn't realize it, but I worked hard on that. Try to acknowledge each other next time and I'll always do the same. It would make me feel great. Obviously, if you're not comfortable doing that, because it can be awkward, obviously, if you're not like in a friendly situation with someone, let's be real, it can be awkward. I think... Maybe if you have a good relationship with your manager or leader, which hopefully people do, talking with them about it and maybe how to either approach the person yourself or just telling your leader, I'd like this to be more of a culture on our team and exactly what happened. I'm not trying to tell on this person. I like them as a person. It's just that maybe as the leader, they might take it more seriously if you tell them. Did anyone else maybe asking your leader to just talk with them about, did anyone else help you with this project? And, you know, having the leader talk through it with them. Because when I was a leader, I would encourage my team members to actually tell me that stuff, not because it was going to get someone else in trouble, but because I could, through actions, have someone take it more seriously and show by example that if you actually acknowledge other people, it's a good thing and you'll be rewarded for showing that you use teamwork, not for doing it all yourself. So there are a few different ways to go at it. I love that you brought up the approach for anybody listening to this. Being in that leadership position is almost Mm -hmm. like addressing the elephant in the room before it becomes an issue. And when someone brings it forward, now you can actually have that conversation because culture is often assumed, right? And not everybody's assuming the same thing. So Mm -hmm. now you can actually clarify it and be able to tell everybody like, Hey, know that whenever you're using someone else, we do want to make sure that we have a culture where we always give credit to sources, which I think would always be a great thing to do. Before we continue, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mindvalley membership. For all of you personal development junkies like me out there, growing in one area of your life just isn't enough. That's why we made Mindvalley membership to bring you the best personal growth programs on the planet so you can evolve every day in every way. Whether you want to get crazy fit, build a business, or manifest more money in your life, there's a quest for that. And now you can access every single one for just $2 a day. So if you're striving to become the best self and live the life you deserve, try out Mindvalley membership at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. As we're going through this, now we've covered in depth a little more of this thou shall not steal. Uh, <laughs> one of the, I know your book covers over 10 principles right. here. So I'd love to understand what are some of the bigger ones that we can spot. If I'm listening to this and I'm like, all right, maybe I have some blind spots. What would be a way that I could be looking at the priority of how can I be a little more aware of what's happening so I can actually have proper ethics in that area? Yeah, of course. So the 10 principles, which I can list here, really the purpose of the 10 principles is to find more balance at work. So I talk about in the introduction how really the goal of the 10 ethical principles is to find a balance of peace and progress in your work. I talk about how some companies or individuals have a lot of peace, but don't progress so much. Like maybe everyone gets along on their team and things seem peaceful and happy, but they're not really progressing. They're not productive or doing anything. I think of this as like bigger companies So it's actually not that ethical to not 
be productive or move forward. People get tired, they get antsy, especially young professionals might leave and then the company will do horrible or the team will do horrible. And then the other side of the coin is some people have a lot of progress or productivity, but not so much peace. And I think of this as more the startup mentality. People are trying to do so much in a day, work long hours, burn out. The relationships might not be great. They might not do a lot of team building or a lot of communicating. So the peace isn't there, but they're really productive. And eventually that's not going to work out either. So really the goal of the 10 principles is to find a balance of peace and progress at work for yourself and for your team and your company. So I can go through and just list the 10 principles. And then, like you said, I can prioritize or talk about some that might be important for people. So these are the 10 ethical principles here in the book. And they're all connected, which is why they're drawn as a diagram like this. I'm going to take a moment here. For those who are listening to the podcast, know that we have a live audience here with our Mind Valley members. Of course, you can always go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman if you want to be part of these live conversations in the future and be able to see these videos that we've done already. You're illustrating a diagram. All of them are around a web of connection, which makes it look absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So these are the 10 ethical principles and I'll read them off. So the first four that I'm going to list are principles toward others. The next five are principles toward yourself, ethics that you practice towards yourself. And the last one is one that you practice toward others and yourself. So here they are. The first is truthfulness. The second is non-stealing, which we talked about. Then we have control of energy, which is interesting. Non-attachment which is one of my favorites, purity, contentment, discipline, self-study, surrender, and finally, more good than harm, which is that last one that you practice toward others and yourself. With ethics, you're always trying to optimize right, by doing more good than harm in any situation. So those are the 10 principles. And if we were to dive into another one, I think non-attachment is really interesting for a lot of people, the practice of non-attachment toward others and toward a lot of things in your own life, actually. But at work, I mostly relate it to non-attachment toward other people or toward other things. For example, a lot of people attach to titles in the corporate world, titles or where you are on the ladder what your title is on LinkedIn, for example. <laughs> are you a senior manager or are you just a manager? And that is important. Believe me, titles and promotions are definitely important for motivation and also for talking about who is what in a company. If I have this urgent issue, who do I go to? You need to know the title. So people need to have titles. They're definitely needed. I'm not a person that thinks there should be a titleless companies or something like that, like just people by name. I don't really think that because I do think titles, knowing what people do and their level of experience is important. But I think on a personal level, getting attached to titles or your title as you go through your career is not really the purpose of your career. There should be a deeper, different purpose. So getting attached to a title is one thing that I talk about in the book. I also talk about getting attached to people. If you're a leader and one of your team members leaves, it's a big hit to your ego. So are you a person that gets attached to certain people? If they leave your team, like they give their notice, or if they did something wrong at work and you need to let them go, you have attachment and resistance to doing those kind of actions. So it's a very reflective book, as you can tell, reflecting on your own 
Some people read through a chapter and they're like, oh, I have no issues with this principle. This is interesting. And then they get to another chapter and they're like, oh, wow, this is like me and exactly what I'm going through. I need to read deeper in this and learn how I could maybe resolve this in my own work. If you're talking about the call of the manifestations of the ego, it can show up in very different ways. It sounds like yeah. all the principles here, they're perfectly aligned to identify what is the one that triggers you the most. Mm. I actually want to take a step back because you said something beautiful and I had never seen that duality before, but it seems so amazing to witness this whole peace against progress kind of dynamic is something that I had never explored before, yet I've noticed that there was, I'm just thinking of a really prime example. There was a team within Mind Valley, and their leader was really, really excited about the amount of peace that they had created within that little mm -hmm. department. And they were like, look, we're amazing. Everyone's getting a lot of acknowledgement. Everyone's being really well supported. And it almost made it so that they started triangulating, like getting her and the team in peace, but then saying, oh, all the external other departments are evil. They don't respect the way that mm -hmm. we want things to happen and the peace that's happening here. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. The progress got severely impacted. They created barriers to guard their peace. Right. And at some point, you know, the story is kind of a little sad as this person got demoted and transferred out of the mm. team and someone had to jump in and kind of create chaos because innovation had stalled. The performance was just not being outputted from there. So wow. I guess I'd love to kind of go deeper into that part and understand how do I do a self-assessment of where I stand between the peace and progress and identifying if I have an issue I should be looking at right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So I know we have limited time today, but if you do want to go deeper, I do have a lot of prompts in the book throughout each chapter that all relate back to the peace and progress theme with each principle. So each principle kind of touches on the duality of each principle in terms of peace and progress. But a good example from the book is I have two principles that are principles towards yourself. One is contentment and another is discipline. And they are very counterintuitive. Contentment is principle six and discipline is principle seven. So just like the peace and progress, if you are someone that practices a lot of contentment, you might be someone like the peaceful team you were just talking about, Jason, who is very content with where they are in their work. They're happy with how much they do every day. They're happy with where they are in their career. That's all great. That's an ethical principle. That's very ethical. But the next principle, discipline, is all about do you challenge yourself? Are you open to taking risks? Or are you almost too content to the point where the next principle is really hard for you? Maybe you don't take enough risks. You don't start work early enough in the morning because you're so content. And there's a lot of people, especially young professionals on the other side that are so disciplined. They're working from eight to eight or later in the night to like push themselves and they're taking all these risks and doing all this stuff. But on the contentment side, they're really not content. They're always looking for the next promotion and never satisfied. They're always working too hard and just the weekends feel like they're so burnt out because they have no contentment or gratitude for where they are, progress they've made, things like that, the pause to stop and appreciate where they are. So I think the two principles, contentment and discipline, kind of self-reflecting on, are you more on that content side of things every day? Or are you more on that discipline side of things? Both are good, but maybe if you find yourself really far on one side, you could use a little bit of the other. So they kind of mirror the peace and progress well.
I really like that duality. And as you're saying this, I'm like, oh yeah, I know the times that I'm either swinging on one side or the other. And I find that this is more natural for me. And I'm going to take a hint here, since all my listeners here are superhumans at work, (laughs) I'm going to say that they're having more awareness on the discipline side. So understanding that, oh yeah, if I'm feeling too content, I'm not feeling driven. On the discipline side, you're like, okay, yeah, I can wake up early. I can prioritize, make sure I have systems in place to manage my tasks every day. I can schedule my week. So I feel like we cover a lot of these disciplinary type of activities to kind of charge Mm -hmm. that ethic principle up. I'd love to maybe go deeper on this whole contentment. And Mm -hmm. if I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, I'm working crazy hours. Yes. I'm feeling burnt out. I'm trying Mm -hmm. my best. And it seems like I'm never getting enough. What are maybe one practice or two that people could be aware of to really nurture that ethic of contentment? Yeah. Yeah. So good question. So contentment is really important. It's a very important ethical practice that I fell on that side that you're talking about where I was very disciplined and needed more of that contentment. And one thing that did really help me, I saw a lot of people on here practice yoga and meditation. I think that really helps. And whether it's yoga and meditation or it's running or it's walking or any of the great things everyone mentioned that they do to keep themselves sane or happy or content outside of work, I think it's really important to take time for that every day. And for me, what helps is to set a time when I'm done work whether that's four o'clock in the afternoon or six o'clock in the evening, whenever I know I can be done having meetings or whatever and do that activity, which for me is yoga or meditation and actually logging off, closing down and letting go. Because a lot of discipline, not to get too complicated here, but relates to attachment to working, 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 right? So you have to be able to detach. You have to master detachment or non-attachment before being content sometimes to stop all the movement and the productivity and let go. In my Mm -hmm. book, just to mention a few other things people can do that are a little even more tangible, I should say, is this practice of journaling. And specifically, some people practice journaling every day, which is great. If you don't, you're not a big journaler. What I would say to do is just start once a week with a journal and write down, this is one of the exercises in the book, three wins you've had from your week. So like three things you accomplished, and it could be professional or personal. Maybe try to have a few of both in there. Professional and personal wins or milestones from the week. It could be as small as like finally responding to an email to someone or wrapping something up to as big as closing out a huge project or deal or whatever relates to your work or something personal. Three wins for your week, writing those down. And then three pieces of wisdom that you've gained from the week. So three things you learned from someone else or from reading a book or whatever it is. And this just helps to pause when you're journaling and to think about your week and reflect. And it also helps with memory as well, actually. So when you pause and just think about what were three wins, what did I do this week? You have to go back to the beginning of your week and think through your week, what happened, what was good in terms of the wins, and then going back and also thinking, what are three things I learned? Oh, that meeting was really interesting. I learned that. Or, oh, I took a break to read my book and I learned these things. Let me write those down. And when you're done, it's so satisfying. You're like, oh, I did these three things and learned these three things. And you just have that practice of gratitude very naturally. and it up levels the contentment factor in your life. I love this wisdom practice. I think I'm going to add that to my journaling because I think that's something that I forget on 
putting into place is like, what did I learn? And that's kind of your testament to growth in the process. And by the way, this has been a fantastic conversation around ethics. And what I want to do is for everybody who's tuning in here, you'll definitely want to look in the show notes. We're going to put a link so you can go deeper into awake ethics as well. Because as you can tell here, these are really powerful principles that when you look at your workplace as an environment for your personal growth, you're going to realize that when you have a guidebook like this around awake ethics, it's really going to be a blueprint to bring you more satisfaction through the work that you do and be able to kind of make sense of these dualities that you might be facing whenever it comes Mm -hmm. to these ethics, which start at a small level. I really love that you've brought this principle of progress and peace and how it is a spectrum. And then as you're actually applying more of these principles, you can actually see that even as these two principles are going against each other, you can maximize the output while having peace and not necessarily having to bend these ethics and have everybody be disgruntled Mm -hmm. in the progress. I would assume as well, that because you have principles like non-attachment in place, then there's a bit more understanding and forgiveness that as you go and be more ethical, not everybody's going to be immediately magically at your level as well. And so I guess you're going to have to have a bit more space to be able to understand that other people are on their own journey. And they're probably just Mm -hmm. reflections of the journey that you're trying to uphold through your own ethics. Hillary, thank you once again, so much for coming to share your wisdom here. Again, look at the show notes. You'll be able to go deeper into these principles to really be able to awaken your own ethics and really make an impact within the workplace as a superhuman that's really pushing the needle forward and making the world a better place in the process. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jason. It was fun to be on. Thanks everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you haven't signed up already, be sure to check out Mindvalley membership. Besides getting unlimited access to our top rated programs and trainers, you'll also join an incredible supportive community on our new Connections app. This is basically a global campus where you find like-minded friends, mentors, and accountability partners from around the world online or get together at local meetups. If you want education that connects you with kindred spirits and transforms you from the inside out, join the tribe at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman today. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.